We're going to open the word of the Lord today. If you would just remain standing for just a moment. Let's turn your attention to Psalm 86. I'm going to pull a paragraph out of the middle of the Psalms. And once again, Psalms are songs to written to glorify God. And so in the middle of this, the psalmist would write, verse 8, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things, you alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, and with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. I want to preach today for just a little bit, worthy of every praise. Worthy of every praise. God bless you. You may be seated. We do have uh, translation equipment. If you would like the sermon translated into Spanish, you can get a headset. I'm so appreciative of Belki and others who help with that. Praise is a common word, especially in the Old Testament. Some, uh, well, several hundred times the word praise is listed in the Bible. And in its basic definition, it is ultimately to extol God or to talk about Him in expressing how great you think that He is. I've told you before, there are seven different primary words in the Old Testament that describe praise and are used to uh, explain the functions of praise. And, And here's the deal that that in all of those, there is either some noise that is being made or there is some action that is being done. In the Old Testament, at least, praise is never a silent, inward thought about God. And the New Testament does take a little bit of a, a twist and a little bit of change because in the New Testament, those who are saved have a different relationship with the God of the universe. But at least in the Old Testament, it is... Words that mean to clap your hands. It's words that means to sing unto the Lord. It's words that mean to jump or to move or to, to rock or various things that we do when we praise. It, it is a, an action. It is a verbalization of what we feel and what we think about God. There is a famous story. I say famous. You may not be super familiar with it. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. The Ark of the Covenant has been taken by the Philistines in battle some 20 plus years in advance. And so as they were preparing to to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem, David finally was able to get to where the Ark was in the house uh, of the Philistines. And so he's bringing it back and you may be familiar with this part of the story. They're, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. 
The Bible has said and, and God has told them that they are not to carry it on a cart, but there are rings on the sides of the Ark of the Covenant and they are to put poles through those rings and it's to be carried on the shoulders of the priest, that they are to carry the Ark wherever they go. And so in the middle of carrying, bringing the Ark back to Jerusalem, the cart, as is normal on an unpaved road, the cart begins to wobble and the, the Ark of the Covenant is getting ready to fall off the Ark and Uzzah reaches out to touch the Ark of the Covenant to keep it from falling off and God strikes him dead. Because God has said no one can touch the Ark, only the priest can do this. And David, of course, is distraught and dismayed and so they leave the, the Ark of the Covenant in the house of Obed-Edom and God begins to bless the household of Obed-Edom and Great things begin to take place, and so David's like, man, it's not the ark, that's not the problem. The ark is bringing blessing, the ark is doing what God has intended. So he said, we still got to go get it. So this time he comes and he does things the right way. But as he's bringing the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem, the Bible says that David is wearing a linen ephod. He has taken off his kingly garments and he has put on an ephod which is part of the priesthood now david is not usurping the authority of the priest but he's just saying that hey I, i'm not going to do this as king i'm going to do this as a worshiper and as he's bringing the ark of the covenant into jerusalem he would take a few paces and then he would begin to dance and praise before the lord they would go a little bit further and he'd stop and do a little praise break and go a little bit further, and then they'd stop and do a praise break. As he's coming into the city, his wife, Michal, the daughter of Saul, sees David dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. The Bible says that she despised him in her heart because of his worship. That because of his dancing before the ark, and he wasn't acting like a king should act, he was just acting like a commoner who's worshiping before God and before the ark of the covenant, and she despised him because he was undignified. The Bible says that because of that, God smote her womb and she was barren until the day of her death. There are a few questions that I will ask at the end of my message. I will re refer to this story again, but for now, the questions that I would ask are why should we praise and, and how should we praise and do we have a reason to praise God? And I would tell you that the God that we serve is worthy of every praise. Worthy of every bit of noise that we can give, either with our voice or with our hands or the actions that we give, whether it's whether it's jumping up and down or if it's taking a lap. Whatever it happens to be, God is worthy of praise. If we are doing it because of He is great and we're doing it because of His goodness and we are doing it because of His mercy, He is worthy of every praise. The passage that I read to you today gives us a number of reasons why we should praise Him. The first we see in verses 8 and 9, and it is this, we should praise Him 
by acknowledging His supremacy. There is no God like our God. And, and understand the context of the writing of the, the Psalms. It is not a context like you and I would find here in North America. It's a different idea. It's a different culture altogether. You would be here in North America if you were walking down the street and you saw some idol set up and people bowing down and worshiping before the idol, you would think that was exceeding strange. You would look at that and go, what is going on here? But in David's day, and in the, the, the days of the Old Testament, and even the New Testament, everybody worshipped some kind of God, and they did it through the worshipping of idols. They did it through pagan gods, and there is a, a, a th- an idea that every nation has a God, and that there is, um, sometimes nations would have multiple gods. You've heard of the Greek pantheon, it is a Some 3,000 plus gods or Hindus, they have gods everywhere. And what David or the psalmist writes here is this, he says that there is none like you among the gods. That name all of the gods of the various nations or all of the gods of the, the various countries around, whether it's in Egypt and the god of the Nile and the sun god and however many gods they worship, he said there is none like you among all of them and ultimately they are not gods but the people see them as gods and so he initiates this idea that God is supreme that there is nothing like them nothing like him anywhere but also understand that everyone worships something there were no atheists atheism did not exist They all had idols or things that they worshipped as God. Paul would later write that there are no gods behind these idols, and if there's anything behind the idols, they're really just evil spirits. They're not gods. But for the psalmist, he's saying, in the culture in which we live, in all these things that you call gods, there is nobody like our God. There is no God like our God. He is the God of gods. And in the New Testament, we would say it this way. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. He is supreme over everything. That's why He's worthy of praise because He is the true God who is supreme over everything. There are no works like His works. Eyes that cannot see. That's what the idols are made of. Mouths that cannot speak and ears that cannot hear. And the psalmist would say, our God is supreme. He is the greatest of all gods that are anything that is called a God. He is greater than all of them. And in fact, what the psalmist will go on to say is that he is the creator of these nations. These nations that have idols and gods that they worship who they give the accolades to for their any successes they have, any, any kind of things that are going on that's positive in their nations, they give that praise to idols. And what the psalmist says is the one who really made all those, he is the one who's worthy of praise. It's not the idols, it's not their other gods. But it is our God who is the creator of nations, and that one day they will come and worship him. Every... Knee will bow. 
And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what they would, we would see in the New Testament. Every knee would, at one day and at one point is going to confess that Jesus Christ is supreme. And I would tell you that what you and I should do right now is acknowledge His supremacy in everything that we do. That means acknowledge His supremacy not just when things are going good, but to acknowledge His supremacy when things are going bad. To acknowledge His supremacy when we don't have a government that we like or they're making decisions that we don't like. God is still in control. He is still in charge of everything. He is the God who is over all. Secondly, we praise Him by extolling His works. Verse 10 would say it this way, For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. It's one thing to, to have a God who does works. Ultimately, the idols and the pagans that we talked about, they, they don't really do anything. They would get the credit or when things were going bad, People would go, well, the gods are upset, so we've got to do something to, to make them happy with us. It's one thing to do work. It's another thing to do great and wondrous works. We have people sitting in the audience who do construction or woodworking. I mean, I can make some cuts with a saw. I can get the job done, but it's not great work. I've done some drywall in my day, but it doesn't look like a professional did it. It looks like a kindergarten's been in there playing with the sheetrock mud when I'm done with it. So it's not that God just does work, but He does great works. And that everything He does, He does it well, and He does it far beyond our comprehension my dad used to say when he would preach and you you may not be familiar with the this this story of Jesus but as as it's leading up to the passion after their Passover meal and he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's been praying that Judas brings with him soldiers to arrest Jesus and Peter takes out his sword to try to defend Jesus from the soldiers. And he's a fisherman. And so he's not very good with a sword. He takes out this sword and he, he swings it at the, the servant of the high priest. Malchus is the servant's name. He swings it at Malchus and he cuts off his ear. I'm sure he's not trying to cut off his ear. He's trying to cut off his head. But he's a fisherman. He's just not very good with a sword. And Jesus tells him to put away his sword. He's like, that's, that's not the answer. I could bring 10,000 angels down and take care of the problem. But this is, this is part of why I'm here. Is I'm here to, to, to die in your place. And Jesus takes the ear of Malchus who's been cut off and he puts it back on the side of his head. Instantly he's healed. And what my dad would say, 
He probably, when he puts it on, he doesn't just heal it. He probably has perfect pitch, and he can probably hear better than he's ever heard before because God does all things well, that his works are great and wondrous, and whatever he does in your life, it's going to be good. Whatever he does in your life, it's going to exceed expectations because he is a God who does it all well. And I would tell you, what He has done for others, He will do for us. When He heals others, He will heal us. And when He delivers others, He will deliver us in our time of need. And if He saves somebody else's family, He'll save your family. He is a God who works among His people, and everything He does, He does well. There is nothing that He does not do well. Thirdly, we praise Him by walking in His ways the psalmist would say it this way teach me your way O lord that i may walk in your truth unite my heart to fear your name the word teach there it means to instruct me to tell me what it is that i am supposed to do the psalmist is acknowledging the truth that we see in Isaiah that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and we can't comprehend everything there is about him. So the psalmist says, teach me your way. Teach me that I may walk in your truth. I don't know how to walk in your way, Lord, so instruct me. Help me to know how I'm supposed to live. Help me to know how I'm supposed to walk. And, and walk here is not just about walking like we would think of walking, but walking here is the sense of the way in which we live, that we're following His path and we're following His plan and we're following His truth. Instruct me, Lord, that I may know how to walk in Your truth. Instruction comes in a number of ways. The primary way that it comes is through the Word of God. That you can't know what God thinks without reading what He has had written. You can't know what God wants you to do without spending time in His Word where He lays out his plan for you and when he lays out his plan for actually for all of us so how we should live and how should we should walk and how we should praise him and how we should be in relationship with him all of that comes when we spend time in his word and his word will speak to us his spirit will speak to us and instruct us and guide us it's why we pray we don't pray sometimes we pray lord show me in your word what you want me to do but sometimes lord just tell me what i need to do I've got this situation or that circumstance and I don't know what to do and your word doesn't speak specifically to my predicament. So Lord, just tell me what to do and tell me how to respond. Tell me how to act. The instruction also comes through the preacher or the man or woman of God who is God called to speak his word to a congregation that at times you may not find it in the word by yourself, but the man or woman of God will speak the Word of God and it instructs us on how we should live and how we should walk. Lord, teach me. I'm 50 years old. I received the Holy Ghost. November will be 39 years ago. There's a whole lot I don't know about walking 
with God. There's a whole lot I still need to learn. And so the psalmist prayer should be mine. Lord, teach me your way. Why don't you just lift your hands right now and would you pray that prayer? Lord, teach me your way. Help me, Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to live in a way that's pleasing to you. Live in a way that you want me to live. Live in a way, Lord, that is in, li- in accordance and in lining up with your word and with your spirit. As I go through life, Lord, teach me your way that I may walk in your way. We are to walk in a way that is pleasing to him. And I would tell you that praise and worship is more than brief moments of clapping our hands or brief times of singing on a Sunday morning. Those are praise. The the words I mentioned, the Hebrew words, it means to clap our hands and to sing praises to him. But it's more than what we just do on a Sunday morning. But it is also the way in which we live our lives, our praise and worship to Him. The word worship actually comes from a word that originally meant worship. And what that means is this, that God is worthy of how we live. That God is worthy of the actions that we bestow upon Him. And so I I can come on a Sunday morning and I can clap my hands and I can sing and and I can get excited or I can pray and, and all of that is good and all of that's necessary, but what am I doing on Monday? And what am I doing on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday is And even if I do take time to pray and and I take time to to praise and worship God for 10 or 15 or 30 minutes, what am I doing the other 23 and a half hours a day? Am I walking in His way? Has has He taught me His truth so I would know what it is that He wants me to do? And, And I would tell you that the way in which we live is about pleasing Him and is about following His path and His truth and His way. We are to praise Him by loving Him completely. The first part of verse 12, I give thanks to You, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. Deuteronomy, Moses would write that we are to love Him with our, all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. When Jesus is asked what is the greatest commandment, He would refer to Deuteronomy to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. God is not looking for us to love Him partway. He's not looking for us to love Him halfway. He's not looking for us to love Him two-thirds of the way. He's not looking for us to love Him three-quarters of the way, but He is looking for us to love Him completely. He doesn't want a little bit of us. He wants all of us. Too many people, maybe even those in this congregation today, 
love him a little bit. You love him, or I love him enough to come to church. But do I love him all the time with my whole heart? And the psalmist says, I want to give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. God would say to Old Testament Israel, the implication was true all the time for them, unfortunately, or most of the time, that you love me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I've seen people all my life, and they can put on a show on Sunday morning. Monday, you wouldn't even know they were a Christian. The word for that in the, the New Testament is the Greek word hypocritos, which is where we get the word hypocrite. And what it really means is this. It is used of those in the theater of the first century where you would have an individual who would play multiple roles in the theater. So what that would mean is this. They would come out and they would do one part and then they would go back and they would change the mask and put on a different mask and play another part. And when that scene's done, they'd go back and they'd get another mask and they would play that part. And, and what Jesus would say about those is that we're not to be hypocrites, but there are people that they come to church on Sunday. And what I would tell you is Sunday is really the day in which they're wearing the mask. They're not wearing the mask for the world. They're revealing who they are to the world. They're wearing a mask for the people in church. But God sees beyond our mask and He knows if we're going through the motions and He knows if we're just speaking the right things and He knows if we love Him with our whole heart. He knows if our heart is far from Him. And the psalmist would say we are to praise Him by loving Him completely. The fifth thing that he would say in the second half of that verse is to praise Him by glorifying His name forever I give thanks to you O Lord my God with my whole heart I will glorify your name forever now understand this that the psalmist can't expect to live forever as we are today we can't expect to live in this world and live forever but what he's saying is this I'm going to glorify you from now until I die and even though the Old Testament Jews had no full understanding of an afterlife and that we were going to live with Him forever, they thought it was just generation to generation the way in which we live forever is we have kids and we multiply. But there are hints throughout the Bible here in the Psalms that there is an afterlife, that there is a time in which we will be in eternity with God and we are to glorify Him forever. Praise is not just to be a periodic or a, just a small portion of the time of our lives, but it is an ongoing reality all of the time. I referenced the book of Revelation earlier, that the four and twenty elders, 
and those of us who are called up to meet Him in the air are going to worship around His throne and we're to cast our crowns before His feet and we are going to praise Him forever. I referenced this a week or two ago, but this idea that Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the way in which we do that is that we live in a way that's pleasing to Him now and we experience the new birth now so that we can get to heaven and spend eternity with Him. That there is no eternity with Jesus unless we get things right in the moment. That we get things right in the present and then we have an opportunity to worship Him and to glorify His name forever. And lastly, we praise Him by remembering His salvation. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Sheol is one of the Old Testament words used for hell. And, it, there, it, and, and once again, the Old Testament Jews don't have a full understanding of what all this means. But I would tell you that when reading the Psalms, what we can take from this is is this truth that God has delivered those who follow Him and who have experienced a new birth. He has delivered us from hell. That no longer am I on my way to hell, but I'm on my way to heaven. And the reality is this, is that every person who ever lived apart from Jesus Christ deserves hell. Everybody. But God has demonstrated great love. And because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that you and I can now have eternal life, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word steadfast is a word that means unwavering. God is unwavering in His love toward us. And aren't you thankful that He is unwavering? Anybody? Well, you may be familiar with it, and I don't know that I ever did it. The daisy. She loves me. She loves me not. <laughs> Trying to figure out if your true love still loves you. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. And whichever one is the last one on there, <laughs> that's your fate. <laughs> Just got to hope it's not that she loves me not. God doesn't have a daisy. I love him. I don't love him. I love him. Yeah, he did something I don't like. I don't love him. Oh, he repented. I love him. He's struggling today. I don't really love him. There is no daisy with God. His love is unwavering for you and for me. And what that means is not that we're perfect and not that He condones sin, but, but when we do things, when we're not walking in His way like we're supposed to, what He's doing and He's still saying, hey, hey, come on over here. 
he's instructing and he's saying, that, that's, not, that's not the best course of action. Why don't you come back over here? And why don't you spend time with me so I can teach you my way? Because I love you. His love is unwavering. Oh, great is his love toward us. Why don't you lift your hands and thank him for his great love right now? Jesus, we love you. And we throw grateful, Lord, that you love us, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your love. We deserve to spend an eternity in hell, but God loves us. We deserve eternal punishment, but God loves us. And when we think about what He has kept us from and what He has saved us from, how can we not but praise Him for His goodness? How can we not but praise Him for His salvation? How can we not praise Him for His great and wondrous works and His supremacy above all things? He is a God who is above all, through all, and in us all. And He is a God who loves us and cares for us. Would you give Him praise right now? Jesus, we love You. We love You. As the old song would say, when I think of His goodness and all He's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Where we need some live music right now, we do a little praise break. And Sister Hill, I got to tell you, I did a little leaping and jumping, but I didn't take, I didn't take a lap because my knee has been bothering me, but I should have done it anyway because God is worthy. <laughs> she told me to take a lap for it, General Conference. <laughs> And I went to join the line, and, and I, I mean, I did, I did, you know, I was thinking about you, but I, he is worthy of praise. We praise him by acknowledging his supremacy, by extolling his works, and by walking in his ways, by loving him completely, by glorifying his name forever, and by remembering his salvation. Praise is a part of the new birth experience. And I say that because many times when people are making their way toward God, they're coming into relationship with Him and they're they're asking Him to fill them with the gift of the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in a language they do not know. Sometimes people realize that they need it, His, His Spirit to live within them, and they're not really sure that it will happen, and so they fall into begging, or, oh, please God, come in. And so the instruction oftentimes is this. Once you repent, once you tell Him that you want to follow Him and serve Him and you ask Him to forgive your sins and you turn from your sin, we will tell people, you just praise God. And in the middle of praising Him, Oftentimes, people are filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's part of that new birth experience because praise brings His presence. 
And I would tell you that no matter what's going on in life, there is nothing like the presence of God. Nothing like His presence. As, as many of you know, I'm a drummer and I, back in the day, messed up my right ankle pretty seriously playing basketball and it's on crutches and if you know anything about drums then you know that you use if you're right handed at least you use your right foot to, for the kick drum and for the time that I was on crutches I would hobble up to the, the platform in pain so I sat down and service started pain would go away play through the worship service and get up and limp off and I, I learned in my late teens then that when you're in his presence everything is just better I've been sick since yesterday about noon yesterday we flew back from Orlando and I had to take stuff and I was in bed early and woke up this morning and, oh yeah I'm great about five minutes after I got up I was like I'm not great at the moment Anna and I started working practicing doing the sound check that was great we got done with sound check I walked out in the lobby and I was I wasn't sure I could even stand there came back in here and got in the pulpit I'm like I could do this all day because in his presence everything is better in His presence, there is fullness of joy. And it is, in His presence, everything else just kind of fades away. The Bible would tell us that God is, the way the King James would say it, is that He inhabits the praises of His people. What other translations would say as they translate it maybe more accurately is that He is enthroned on the praises of His people. So if we want Him, we want His presence. There's one way we can get it. If nothing else works, praise will bring His presence. So I've come to tell you one more time that He is worthy of every praise. He is worthy of every lifted hand, every clapped hand, every shout of praise, every, every word we sing of a song, every accolade we give to Him. He is worthy of all of it. And when we do that, His presence comes and fills our hearts and fills our lives and fills the room in which we're in. And He is enthroned on the praises of His people. Would you stand together and would you just lift your hands, your voices right now to the Lord and would you just offer Him praise? Jesus, we love You. We magnify Your name. We exalt You, Lord, because of Your goodness, because You alone are God and You are above all Anything else that is called God, Lord, you are high above that. You are 
the one who has saved us. You are the one who does great and wondrous work.